Welcome back to the 99th episode of the Optimism Vaccine Podcast. And as we inch ever closer to 100 episodes, Jack Eason, what do we have to show for it? <laughs> Millions of fans, Steve. But we do it for the love of the game. That's that's what we do, man. We're, we're, we're men of the people, truly. Uh, not women of the people, though. No girls allowed. Uh, Jake, you're here. How you doing, buddy? Happy 30th yeah, birthday. Here- <laughs> Why, thank you, Steve. I am here, and I would like to uh, just point out, uh, if you count all the uh, For Your Ears Onlys, uh, Shotgun Weddings, Caustic Contents, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, uh, and Tears for Fears and more, I think we've done well over 100 episodes, wouldn't you say? Um, actually, uh, I- I'm so glad that you said that, because uh, technically the full tally is uh, 267 episodes, if you really look. That's correct. That's the exact number I got. Thank you, Steve. Back to you. Wow, we are great podcasters. Thank you so much for that. Sean Glennis, how you feeling, baby? Hot in Detroit? Hot in Detroit is right, Steve. Sweating to the oldies, your favorite workout tape? Uh, yeah, I am. As a matter of fact, I'm sweating to the oldies right now, Steve. That's great. That's good to hear. I love that. All right, boys. Well, you know, uh, we've been trying to think of some special stuff to do because obviously we are getting close to 100 episodes and we want to make this a momentous occasion. Uh, But instead of doing something special, uh, we're doing this. (laughs) That's right. The smell of the bat. The taste of the pig skin. Where have the sports gone? They're gone. They're not coming back. Everything's fucked. The Milwaukee Bucks were going to win a title. (laughs) And, and And now we have nothing. And as much as I would like the sports uh, organizations around the world to get together and say, hey, let's sacrifice some people for entertainment's sake. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. And so a lot of people are asking, they're saying, Steve, how am I going to get my sports fix? And hopefully we are here to provide answers, gentlemen, because we decided to watch a bunch of sports movies. And I think hopefully we're going to be able to identify a few things that will allow our audience to really have that full sports experience without actually watching, uh, you know, the NFL or the NBA or uh, Major League Baseball. So let's start off with baseball. This is America's pastime, Jack, so hopefully we can teach you a thing or two here, if that's okay. I'm always open to learning. Yeah, the ins and outs, the that's good. what makes Americans tick. So this, this is similar to cricket, which I, I don't think is popular in Ireland, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that it is. Yeah, it's it's not really, no. Uh, they do have a cricket team. I did. However, whatever little I understand about how baseball works, cricket is even more mystifying. But I do understand that if baseball is sitting in the sun and drinking, cricket has five-day-long games, so it's probably probably even better. Oh, Jesus, five days? <laughs> three, three or five days, they switch it up. Cricket's actually canceled forever. They're not allowed to come back after this. <laughs> Fuck that. You kidding me? Well, we, uh, we watched a couple of baseball movies this week, and I figured we'd, uh, we'd start off with one that... For the love uh, of the game. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> summer Catch. Uh, no, it's, it's similar to Summer Catch, though, because uh, there's men and there's women and there's baseball, so really, what's the difference... Gentlemen, we watch Blood Games. 
And uh, boy, it, d- nothing really sums up the sport of baseball like an all women traveling, like intergender baseball team that goes around the country playing hillbillies for I, money. I feel like this is around right? the time when our, when all our listeners are kind of like, oh, fuck, they're not going to talk about sports at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of I'm, I'm I'm hedging my bets here and hoping that they don't really care what we talk about because I, I feel like whenever we choose a subject we just try to deviate from that subject as much as humanly possible so that's part of the charm. But uh, Jake, maybe you could help us out here. What exactly? Sure. What exactly is Blood Games? Because I, I feel like just calling it a baseball movie might be selling it short a little. No, it's more than that. It's a uh, it's an exploitation movie, a, a grindhouse film, you could say. It's a it's a bit of a rape revenge film as well. Um, but yeah, Blood Games is about, as you said, a traveling RV of the uh, I forgot the team name. I believe it's the uh, Cincinnati Short Shorts is the baseball team that these ladies uh, play it's, in. It's Babe and the Ball Babes or something, isn't it? <laughs> right, something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> They do wear short shorts, though. Um, but yeah, they're uh, challenging a local uh, redneck, for lack of a better term, uh, team of baseball players in the opening scene. And those guys turn out to be sore losers and decide to take revenge on the ladies. And uh, lots of violence ensues. Pretty much. How'd I do? Yeah. The yeah. Yeah, violence is kind of a I key guess... part here. Yeah. Strangely directed by a woman too, which I I, I never never would have guessed. Yeah, based this is on this the, is a, uh, the look and the feel. <laughs> this is a weird one. It's it's Israeli in provenance, although American shot and based. Um, it's weird. That's kind of like a quintessential redneck team they're playing because I think the whole thing was shot in Northern California. Um, not exactly prime redneck territory, but uh, so be it. But yeah, full of Israeli crew and Israeli director, I believe as well. And I think this might be her only credit as a filmmaker on imdb certainly um but yeah it's it's this is it's a, a, a any rape revenge film uh, directed by a woman is immediately more interesting than most uh, i think that's probably a fair to say and this one is kind of interesting in that um they're kind of like a saucy sexualized baseball team but they're also very good at baseball and they just basically kick these guys asses because they're much better at baseball than them so it's like a quintessential story of women who've worked hard to be good at something beating a bunch of mediocre guys at it and the guys just being really mad and not processing it well and just then just starting to lash out violently so um yeah it's kind of like timeless knockers hypnotize you boy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly yeah. so a timeless a timeless film really uh i i'm not sure really when it, it will stop being relevant uh, probably yeah, never i mean these, I mean, these guys are uh i was just gonna say they're they're pretty lecherous out on the field as the the women are taking their bases they're like groping and pinching them as they run by and the women start fighting back by pitching the the baseballs right into the men's dicks it's pretty great People they're trying to steal third base. I don't know anything about baseball, but that seemed like a good mixing of metaphors there or whatever. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm just gonna run with that. Uh, yeah, um, it's it's a, the film has a, like it's it's a pretty solid um, revenge film in that it kind of throws a couple of unusual turns in there. Like it seems like the chief protagonist or the chief antagonist 
is the son of the, the of the kind of guy who runs the town who's an ex-mercenary. So you kind of figure he'll be a bad guy too. He's an ex-mercenary for some reason. Mm-hmm. But then his son gets gets knocked off pretty quickly and he's the guy who kind of sets in motion everything. Uh, but he gets knocked off pretty quickly and then it becomes kind of more of an open feel. And also, um, I mean, not to spoil too much, but the women fare pretty well in this film. There is one gross, <laughs> like there's there's one gross kind of rape scene that had to be that's kind of you know you kind of knew something like that was going to happen also this movie's made in like 1990 so like i feel like a lot everything we describe in sound like this probably should come from like the the 70s like late 70s uh no it's like the 1990s so um kind of a different vibe that way but um aside from that kind of like one gross rape scene everything else is pretty much like the women kind of being functional and and it's not like the women are running away terrorized like they they actually resist competently and you know kind of successfully um which is just it's kind of an interesting balance of a film and that you know they are being attacked by these guys who organize but they they don't just it's not just like a bunch of whimpering women swinging things wildly and crying which is what most of these films try and do until some guy steps in In fact no guy steps in the only guy you can is killed pretty early on babe's dad babe is a woman in the film just not a pig not a pig no (laughs) um so yeah it's it's kind of a a strange and i kind of i like it's kind of nice to have something that's kind of grim and mean-spirited, but also not as, you know, kind of immediately dispiritingly kind of misogynist as most of the films. Um, that that admittedly is kind sure. of a, a a relative scale on the whole thing. This sure that's as hell is a pretty big is, caveat. Yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. Uh, it is what it is, but it's uh, a little more of some things than many other within its genre would be. So you know. Hey, why not? And I learned yeah. nothing about baseball from it. I still don't really understand. <laughs> I mean, I vaguely understand baseball, the general mechanics, but um, yeah, they, I didn't. Wouldn't even have to know that really. Other than you have bats and you can hit people with them, which you know, that's that's about it. Mm-hmm. So long I, as the really, umpire doesn't see, that's allowed. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah. It's all about just hiding it from the ump. That's that's all that matters. I was I was yeah. honestly I was really surprised with this movie because. You're right. the uh, The guy that you think is being set up as the main bad guy, he kind of gets dispatched pretty quickly. Like thirty minutes into the movie, he ends up dead, and then you just kind of get you, you get the mercenary dad in the background, who's a real fucking weird dude, uh, because he is the the father of of the person that you think is going to be the main antagonist, and the entire time he's just like, "Come on, boy, don't be a pussy." I didn't raise no pussy, son. You got to wag your dick around and show him how it's done. And then his son is like at a bar arm wrestling someone, but there's lit candles on either side. And his, and so if you lose, then your your arm gets burned. So this his son is uh, arm wrestling uh, Chubby John Tesh, who's one of the other main bad guys. And Chubby John Tesh is winning, and then... He just he's like, come on, son, don't don't let this little butterball pusswad do this to you. And then he just burns John Tesh's hand, which is uh, it's it's pretty yeah, intense. It's, it's a twofer for sports action because arm wrestling is also a time honored, excellent sporting venture. Oh, so, you know, shout out to over the top. Oh, man, absolutely. And Twin Peaks, the two major poles of, yeah. of arm wrestling. Mm-hmm. Starting position is more comfortable. <laughs> uh, but yeah i i guess so these these hillbilly guys are 
I mean, they're gross and awful, but there's some good banter between them and they're pretty entertaining. Like this isn't horribly written by any stretch. Like most of the dialogue is pretty amusing and there's these weird back and forth things like like this, this line. Hold on, I'm going to play you a clip. You piss the way you drink beer. I swear, you drink beer the way you piss. Like what? What? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> what is, just, how do you drink? <laughs> that that's too you many. You drink beer the way you piss. You piss that's, the way you drink beer. That's two men who've drank a lot, ruminating on their lives. <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty. I could believe that. That's that's by no means incredulous in the scale of these things. But yeah, I would agree. The film is surprisingly well paced, well measured. It it works very very well. Um. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of surprised that this one is, uh, by all accounts, pretty uh, pretty under the radar. I'd certainly never heard of it prior to Vinegar no. Syndrome kind of pulling it out from the archives and throwing it on a disc. Yeah, it really does. It feels like, like, like if Canon Films in the late 80s tried to make a mid-70s rape revenge movie, that's kind of where it's at. It's... Uh, it's it's very entertaining, but not not quite as mean spirited as the originals. That's for sure. Uh, the other thing that really stuck out to me with this one, well, the, the the directing is really good. Like this movie looks good consistently and has solid stunt work. And it's surprising to me that the director only has one credit to her name. You'd think she would have done more at some point, and maybe she has. It's just not logged on IMDb or you know can't be found or anything. But um, it's it's a really competently made, well put together, well paced movie, and the fucking soundtrack was cracking me up because the entire time it sounds like a uh, like a daytime court show, like Judge Judy. It's just like dun 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 like that's the whole thing. <laughs> that's what I call. I think they have like a really solid like melodrama or like melodramatic music cue they kick in every so often too, when mm-hmm. you know when when important people are dying. And so on. A lot of little funky synth beats in there, but oh uh, yeah, you, Steve, you you briefly mentioned something I wanted to expand more on is that the stunt work in this is actually pretty great. Um, there one standout is uh, these rednecks are in a truck chasing the RV, and one guy while he's they're driving, I don't know how fast they were going, but he climbs out of the truck onto the back ladder of the RV, and then he starts shooting down into the RV, and then they drive to this bridge and like the actor has to like time his ducks to dip below the the low hanging parts of the bridge i don't know how they didn't like they pulled it off but i don't know how they didn't kill somebody making this movie it sounds like yeah well well i was just gonna say it's it sounds like from because looking at like the interviews um and particularly the lead actress whose name i i don't recall straight up the, the woman who plays babe actually She's actually a stunt woman now. She wasn't then. Ah. So she. this was, mm. I think, a film that really got her hooked on the idea of maybe becoming a, a stunt person. And she has. she's a really successful stunt person. She's got just hundreds of credits, and she's been in a whole bunch of stuff you've definitely seen. Um, it sounds like it was an Israeli crew, and I'm guessing an Israeli, maybe Israeli stunt team as well. I don't know. Um but yeah, it seems like it was just a really solid, like everyone, the, the people that they talk to on like the, the supplements on the disc kind of just talk about it being a very solid, organized set. And yeah, I mean, it just, it, this feels way too competent for kind of its its genesis. <laughs> it's it's 
confusing kind of i was not expecting watching this to be kind of like just watching the whole film just kind of tick along really well and be like oh this is this is good like i'm not i don't really have to suspend you know i don't have to kind of adjust for anything this movie is really kind of working perfectly out of the box so yeah, yeah. i mean can i, I should get stop being praise? surprised by vinegar syndrome no they they <laughs> <But> I, <laughs> It's just like Savage Dawn, where I, I went in with zero expectations, and then I was just like, fuck yeah, this rocks. Yeah. Why have I never heard of this before? <laughs> Very similar kind of a setup. And, I, and this is definitely, I mean, among the rape-revenge genre, which is one of the spottiest genres in, in, in cinema, really. This is definitely one that, you know, you could actually recommend without massive caveats you know it's not one that you kind of like look you just have to understand that everyone involved with this was a sleazy psychopath you know um this one feels <laughs> you know kind of interesting you know and and not i mean it's got it's not incredibly violent but it's solidly violent it's it's got some gross sex like sexual assault stuff but it's not absolutely like lingered on like i spit on your grave or something where it's just like in your face constantly it's kind of like a nice entry point for anyone who for whatever reason wants to enter into this uh this kind of genre sure yeah I, i think it it's not like an outwardly funny movie but it has some good chuckle lines to it and it balances the comedy with the action and the more serious stuff and the gross stuff a lot better than some other rape revenge movies. I mean, yeah. Last House on the Left obviously is <laughs> probably the most egregious version of this, where it's just like, oh, grisly, horrific scene followed by Keystone cops running around to some Benny Hill music. Yeah, uh, th- this no, one is an, no, this one is yeah. a nice joke built in, in that they have the one the one of the main bad guys who keeps not getting killed, and he gets like five not quite deaths. Before eventually yeah, getting fat killed. John Tesh. Yeah, <laughs> there, there you go. Hey, and that's like a really fun addition that he's and he's just kind of like gaining momentum as like the film's prime douchebag, and eventually he he you know meets a satisfying end. It's pretty good. How does this stack up to uh, a league of their own? Less Gina Davis. Very similar. Yeah, a little less Gina Davis, but otherwise you can barely tell the difference. Mm. Yeah, same amount of Madonna. Similar. Yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah. comparable. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's for better sure. than Fever Pitch, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, in the baseball film hierarchy, it's got to be top five, right? <laughs> uh, you've got like five Kevin Costner movies. Yeah, there's five Kevin Costner <laughs> movies. There's the Keanu Reeves one. I think oh, yeah. there's a can. Yeah. Hard, yeah, that's Hardball. That's the one that um, did pretty good video rental sales. Because came out like right after 9 11. Yeah. Yeah. Go. That's a good, that's, good time that's to release a, a movie. A niche to get into. Isn't Moneyball baseball? But I don't know if it actually has any yeah, baseball that's, in it. That's, that's pretty good. People like Bull Durham. A niche what about to get the one? Into. Wait, hold on. What about Post the one where John Goodman rentals. plays uh, uh, Babe Ruth? That's everybody's favorite. Oh, yeah. Is that just called just the, Babe or the, the, something? You know, babe, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah babe, I'm, I think. I'm just realizing that, frankly, we probably should have done Katano's Boiling Point, because that's probably the best baseball mm. movie. Well, but oops. Oh, well. Yeah. We'll save it for I, the I next mean, baseball podcast. Yeah, the next I one. That sure. There, I thought there, there was another um, good candidate uh, from another uh, director on the ballot uh but we'll we can talk about that later (laughs) 
All right, boys. Well, you know, let's move on from baseball for now, I suppose. And let's go into the real America's pastime. And that's motherfucking football from none other than Tony Scott, a.k.a. the good one. Insert groan. Uh, uh, yeah, he, I, he is. I, but I, I could have done my I could have done the segue for you and, and um, bridge the gap because I thought that the better uh, or not better because I haven't seen that one. But I thought that um, uh, a different baseball nomination and a better Tony Scott movie uh, is uh, the fan, um, uh, which takes place in San Francisco uh, with Bobby De Niro. Um, quite good. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize how many sports movies Tony Scott made, but he had a real run there from the late 80s into the mid 90s. Yeah, Days of Thunder. Um, well, we Top Gun, War is a Sport. War, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's you got to have you got to have approval by America's top governing body. In that case, the Air Force for Top Gun versus the NFL, which they actually clearly don't have authorization for from. They, they never mention the NFL. They talk about a national league and the L.A. Stallions is the team, which they're not real. Correct. Or, or am I missing something? Not real. No, they're not real. Didn't didn't think so. It's a shame. I think some. I think uh, we're we're talking about the last Boy Scout. Was that actually mentioned? Do we get to the title of the film, or will we just? No, we don't. We don't get there. Um, we just start yeah, talking. Whatever man. people know. Yeah. No. It's, uh, <laughs> There's I, also volleyball in Top Gun. Just once. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Very key mm-hmm. volleyball representation. Yeah. No, I feel like an NFL team definitely should have gone on board with this one because um. Yeah, it's just really gritty and sweaty and, you know, like, it just feels like, it feels like the kind of film that I don't think anyone could really hold a team responsible. I mean, the subplot of this is about uh, two things that I kind of didn't really realize were, were things for the early 90s or when it, when was this made? 1990? 91? 91. 91. Okay. So, uh, and, yeah. and I don't know about this, right? So first off, apparently sports betting was illegal in LA in 91, like sports betting yeah. is legal, right? You can bet on sports games now. Through- well, Jack, oh. I'm glad you said that because, uh, yeah, the Supreme Court ruled that it was like up to states to decide. And I think 2018, 2017, and now it's legal in 40, 45 states. Yeah. So it's it's legal almost everywhere. Uh, but it was a big deal back then, and. You know, so, so we had that. Gives so we have that. Yeah, we had that controversy, and the second one, which maybe someone can explain to me, they spend a lot of time uh, shit talking free agents. Which I mean, I know what a free agent is, but what was the problem there with them at that point? Where they they were ruining the game apparently by what, like leaving contracts and taking more money and being mercenary or something? Like I don't know. It's football. Aren't you supposed to just take as much money as you can? Uh, there's yeah. a problem when the power exchanges. <laughs> from uh managers or not managers but owners to the players oh yeah okay that's true yeah, yeah that ruffles some feathers <laughs> no but anyhow yeah, that's this about is the an interesting the, time capsule yeah this is about the depth I mean, of the football content in this film frankly uh again you won't learn much about the rules of the game from here although apparently with a fair amount of politics behind the scenes i learned a lot about the rules like the part where if it's raining you're allowed to use a gun when you're when you're playing running back, <laughs> that is true. That I didn't see anyone throwing a little flashes move. Doesn't that happen in the program too? Isn't there a shooting in the program? I don't know. Has no one seen the program? I have not seen no. the program. Oh come on! Weren't you guys watching cable in the nineties? 
<laughs> well, no. Iowa only Comedy so Central. I only saw <laughs> I believe, uh, So I yeah. Married an Axe Murderer. I believe that in, in the program, which I think is, uh, well, it's a football movie. I think it might be college, but I think that there's a fatal shooting in the end zone. Well, that's yeah, suitably is... named part of the field to have a shooting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah, 1993. Anyway, go, go, keep yeah. going. The uh, the opening to this is is fantastic, and I, I think it really gets to uh, the the whole movie does honestly, but it gets down to what Tony Scott does best, which is the guy can really shoot a fucking action scene when he wants to, but also he's really good at latching on to whatever action film culture feels like and just giving us the best version of that for that time period. So you know something like Top Gun or Days of Thunder really feels like a late eighties movie and. This movie really feels like a post-diehard film. Yeah. But also, I love the way that he captures early 90s football culture because they have that stupid fucking like, song that just rips oh, that on the Monday Night the Football best. song. That song is like <laughs> it's absolutely so fucking Friday good. Friday night's a great night for football. It's just it's like so it, good. Yeah, no, it and the whole time it's just like you know you want to pass the ball. If if you wanted to explain American sports culture, like that's just play that song and understand that's basically the oh baseline for how everything works. And just the riff and everything, like just come on, like it's... yeah, yeah, that song rules. This this movie rules. I think I think also credit. You should go to Sorry. Shane Black's screenplay. I can't hear him. Is this still playing? No, you good. You're good, man. Yeah, no, I think um yeah, I think The Last Boy Scout is um I think Bruce Willis is fantastic. I think Tony Scott, I think this is my favorite Tony Scott film. I think uh, Shane Black's screenplay is just filled with such fantastic one-liners. Uh, it's such a brisk, snappy movie, and I just find it so fun and thrilling and nasty every time I watch it. This it's is the re- best it's... Bruce Willis period, too, because it's it's after he was doing the whole, like, I play jazz harmonica, I'm a bluesy boy, but before he lost all of his hair. So it's just, before like, Before he went, like, all yeah. VOD. Um yeah. Uh, but yeah, his character is pretty great. I think of it as a Shane Black movie, like more than I think of it as a Tony Scott movie, which probably is why I don't like it as. I mean, I, th- I think it's good. I think it's yeah. a good, like, uh, solid movie. But um, uh, shut up, fuckface. It, it doesn't <laughs> have. Um, it doesn't have what I like out of Tony Scott movies as much as uh, some of those other ones do. And I think, like, just in general, even even in consideration of the fan, like, uh, after that period, his his work got a little bit more complex and more interested in, in other things. But this is um, a... It's it's a really good piece of entertainment. And, yeah, there's just, like, so many fun lines. And Marlon Lands um, is really fucking good in it, too. So, Sean, question for you. When you uh, say this wait, doesn't on, have on, what hold you... Hold on, hold on, Damon okay. wins. Oh, Damon, Damon wins, sorry. Yeah. I did not want that to get missed. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, this is a movie by Ridley Scott, and it stars Keenan Ivory Wayans, actually. Uh, <laughs> Sean, when you say it doesn't have what you like in Tony Scott movies, are you talking about Denzel Washington? Well, yeah, partially, because, um, I mean, come on. The, their uh, partnership was awesome. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, when you watch something like Deja Vu, it just like there, there's just like I said, it's just more complex. He's he's thinking about more things um, than just like uh, you know straightforward entertainment, which is whatever um, depends on your taste. But uh, th- those later ones, for the most part, really work for me. I think this is probably I probably like this better than something like Unstoppable or Taking on Pelham One Two Three. But I mean, good movies, but. Um, and I like the fan more than some of those as well. But I, 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 it's like I said, it's a Shane Black movie to me. And uh, I like Shane Black, but not as much as I like late Tony Scott. I'm gonna, I this would movie agree. kind of. I'd say I, I yeah. would agree with it being kind of. It's a Shane Black movie down to fact. It's kind of subtly set at Christmas with just like literally a, a single side gag with the Satan clause. Other than that, there's no other reference to Christmas, but it's kind of like stuck in there because. Shane Black knew people would expect it off him. Um, it's it's a strange film for me in terms of its entertainment value because I love, like, this was, I, I easily could have said this was, like, my favorite movie when I was, like, 11 or 12. Like, because it's just, it's the best movie because you know you're not quite really supposed to be watching it, but, like, everything <laughs> registers perfectly for an 11-year-old. Uh, watching it now, it's, it's kind of like, man, every man in this movie sucks. Like they're yeah. they're just hopeless losers who can't handle anything, but they're just tough enough to kind of punch through. And some of the coding in the film, like the gender coding in the film, is pretty awful, which I think is pretty standard for Shane Black of this era. That I mean, Bruce Willis's wife is just they give give pretty much no kind of sympathy to her whatsoever. She cheats on him, and that's bad and it's wrong within the film. But you know, it's kind of understood. He's just. He's kind of on a bad trip because he's managed to... He gets a... Bruce Willis' character gets this great... He gets, like, two origin stories, not just one, because he, like, he saved a president and then that messed him up enough or rattled him enough that then he had to go and work security for a senator, which I still would feel would be kind Mm. of, like, pretty high profile for a dude with maybe PTSD from taking a bullet for the president, multiple bullets, uh, and then he punches out the senator because the senator is, like, a bad guy and beats up women... Um, you know, and Bruce Willis is very much into into women's rights, apparently, because we're supposed <laughs> we're supposed to believe that within the film. But you know, like uh, there's just this coding throughout the film of kind of like a masculine honor system that like Bruce Willis is all kinds of fucked up, and Damon Wayans is like a screw up who's on drugs and wasted his talent and you know made some bad mistakes, and women are there as kind of redemptive totems, but the women are like left like other other than being totems they're they have no kind of inner life whatsoever and they end up they just they love the men despite them being you know ragged alcoholic psychos um you know it's just bruce willis's wife has a great personality trait it's she just wants to fuck a guy with a mustache who looks terrible and is sweaty like who i mean that's what else do you need from a character that's a great scene where he he discovers he's hiding in the closet i love that oh yeah it is but like toilet seats up who's in the closet <laughs> the film has you forget like, I'm a fucking detective. Is it, well, what I like about the film, and I mean, it's 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 a flaw, but it's also kind of endearing to me as like a kind of cultural artifact. Is the film has no feminine perspective whatsoever. Like literally, it's just <laughs> yeah. men talking to female shaped objects, uh, and we're supposed to feel sympathetic towards the men. And Bruce Willis is. Like a, a strange kind of like you know ID like he's he's a fantastic male archetypal character in that he is uh, past it over the hill alcoholic screwed up everything in his life but he's also 
you know, stronger than everyone he meets, more battle-ready than everyone he meets, and, you know, always has a quick, snappy line. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like this, you know, wonderful male fantasy Los Angeles that everything takes place in. And, you know, oh, it's endearing is... within that. But then I agree with, I you know, I agree with uh, with Sean about this. this is like, this is, this is Shane Black to a T. And this one personally mm-hmm. holds up much better than, like, the last Shane Black film I watched. Uh, I rewatched Kiss Kiss Bang Bang while ago, and that just did not hold yeah. up at all for me. But this one, mm. I don't know, this one is just, it's more endearing. The action sequences are certainly much better, which I think Tony Scott... The chemistry Scott, is really good. It is, you know, yeah. 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 So, so there, there's this just a This is a cornerstone, Jack. A cornerstone of Dude's Rock Cinema. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Right yeah. No, uh, no, no, no denials <laughs> from me. And I've forgotten Halle Berry is in this movie. Uh, one of her earlier... Yeah, for like three seconds. For three, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, well, they get her there and she dances to an odd choice of song or like i want to be a cowboy song which is very mm-hmm. high concept for the whole rollout and when bruce willis keeps shit talking black people stuff throughout the whole movie and that's supposed to be endearing <laughs> which is a marvelous oh, yeah. character trait yeah, i'm your father go put some clothes on that's it yeah <laughs> and you know like you know i want to hear you scream in pain and he's like yeah i'll play some rap music that's this very sardonic response oh and also an interesting thing about the film is ta- one of the, the the real star i think of the film is taylor negron as the the main as milo the main bad guy he is one of the most fun 90s bad guys in the game there. And he also gets one of the great... Great character actor. Yeah, and he gets one of the great deaths. Yeah. But he's also really confusing in that he's definitely gay-coded within the film. It's not out there, like, it's not made apparent, but there's definitely, he's got a kind of, like, uh, affectations to him that I think are supposed to suggest homosexuality. Um, and then he also has, like, this... Uh, he's kind of, like, very cool and reserved and just, like, psychotic and cold for most of the film. But then every so often when he gets loud, he kind of gets on this, like, Californian surfer dude kind of vocal affectation, which, you know, plays in line to, like, I mean, he, one of his other big roles in the 90s was playing the washout boyfriend in Biodome. Um, you know, <laughs> and uh, which was really... And it's like this... The, both characters are almost present in this. It's a very, he's a very strange concoction. And it's, you know, in the, by the 90s, queer coding characters, like bad guys, is kind of a, uh, it was a little behind the times, probably not really unusual. And um, it doesn't weigh the film down that much. I don't know if anyone else read it that way, but like, I feel, it feels loud and clear to me, although I have difficulty citing exact examples. I just feel like he definitely came across as like, kind of a, He's he's not a manly man like uh, like Bruce Willis. Even. Well, it's very intentional because uh, Bruce Willis and uh, Damon Wayans they have this interaction where they like are trading like homophobic ribs with each other as like a joke. It's just as like, you do, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I saw you got punched in the face and cried because you're a big gay. <laughs> like that's a joke, and then he's supposed to laugh and. So I think it just sets him up that way because, you know, Bruce Willis would never. He's, he's concerned about who's sticking their pee-pee in his wife. Absolutely. Um, but mm-hmm. beyond that, I, this movie, it has like a weird nostalgic value for me. And not because I watched it a lot as a kid because I'm not a fucked up weirdo like you, Jack. I was a wholesome <laughs> child. Out, Missing out, uh, It's just like, it makes me, and this is very boomerish of me, but it, it makes me long for just this era of action films where God, there's that scene when they're in the stadium in the guy's office 
and a dude just gets lit on fire and then like blasted multiple times with a shotgun and like squibs are oh, going yeah. off everywhere. And it's just it's so gory and over the top and it's and it's got these slow-mo moments. There's all these like, you know, Tony Scott's been watching a lot of John Woo movies lately, vibes going on, and it's just nice because you, you don't you don't see a lot of action movies that are shot this way anymore. And uh it's yeah, it was it was refreshing. Yeah, it's really violent for for its time. I mean, down to the fact that like the main bad guy gets dropped through a helicopter. Like that was not standard operating procedure for action movies at the time. Uh, I would say the guys at uh, the, the football boss's office has really incredible soundproofing because they do a lot of stuff in there and then they just walk out the office and no and like seemingly no one bothered. Um, I don't know if that's an NFL standard thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's a kind of a straight... And, it, you know, it touches on a couple of things like NFL, you know, disaffected players, drug usage, pain management, kind of the abuse of the players. Um but yeah, it just kind of like settles down into just being kind of like really tough men beat up a, a like like kind of fat, stupid, rich dude who's an asshole and also a senator who's not fat, but he's also an asshole. So they beat him up too. And it's very satisfying yeah. on like your lizard brain kind of level, which, you know, Tony Scott could access that very, very easily. That was absolutely a skill of his. So yeah, the film holds up. Sure. It's good shit. It's yeah, good shit. It, I'd like to just take a moment and read an excerpt from um, Shane Black's original screenplay, if, if you'll let me indulge myself, oh, please. Steve. Please. <laughs> Here we go. Interior. Dingy dressing room. Night. Corey and Jimmy are engaged in very hot sex. This is not a love scene. This is a sex scene. Sigh. I'm not even going to attempt to write this quote-unquote steamy scene here for several good reasons. A. The things that I find steamy are none of your damn business, Jack. In addition to which, B. The two actors involved will no doubt have wonderful, highly athletic ideas which manage to elude most fat-ass writers anyhow. And finally, C. My mother reads this shit. So there. P.S. I think we lost her back at the jacuzzi blowjob scene. Good man knows his audience. I don't, you know, but yeah, sadly, yeah. I don't recall a sex scene like that in the movie. So Tony Scott fucked up. No, yeah, they're he just, fucked they're up. just kind of lounging on the couch together. Yeah, it's not. That kind of sounds like a Joe Biden speech. Listen here, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> These two are gonna engage in some passionate lovemaking, oh, my and God. then he's gonna get his straight razor wet and banging on the ground because that's how you get it all rusted up. <laughs> Do you imagine Joe Biden God. trying to deliver Shane Black dialogue? Oh, man, that'd be a movie. I, I would like that. I don't, yeah, what if Joe Biden was delivering the pipe, too? See, there's a movie I want to see with his rusty straight razor. Oh, God. Uh, one day. Shane Black, write it. We'll go see it. Well, you know, I, I mentioned early on that I, I really enjoyed the... Uh, the, the handgun that played into the beginning of the football game in this beautiful, beautiful film that we watched earlier. But beyond The Last Boy Scout, I wonder, are there any movies where you just get full violence throughout the sporting event? And the answer is oh. an enthusiastic yes. Oh. Rollerball. Oh, well, yeah, I guess that is. <laughs> Rollerball is not officially recognized by any American sporting union, so we couldn't use it. <laughs> nope, unfortunately. <laughs> And uh, we shot down Whippet because uh, Jack hates women. 
as displayed by his love of The Last Boy Scout. Yep. No, we actually, actually watched Battlefield Baseball, which is funny because we were only going to do three movies for this podcast. And then Myros was just like, why don't we do Battlefield Baseball? And we said, sure. And then Myros didn't show up for the podcast because his internet broke. So thanks a lot, fucker. Uh, my only question is, Jake, is this anime? <laughs> That's one of my notes written down. This is live action anime. Um, it would not look out of place in an anime, but it is just comes off as so zany and weird when it's rendered live action. Um, but uh, I don't know if it's originally an anime, if that's the question. Uh, Jack, do you have any insight on this? The background? Yeah, of this what the project? fuck is Battlefield I'm, Baseball, man? I'm just I'm just on a podcast. I have no insights whatsoever on this. Uh, no, uh, it's, it's lucky for you. I did my homework. Oh, it's actually good. based on a manga. Uh, which is ah. like comic book anime. So those are thing. from Korea, uh, correct? Uh, something like that. Japan. Oh man, the people are getting <laughs> mad, right? Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, manga is uh, demonstrably different from both comic books and anime, and I, uh, I demand an immediate retraction. Look at um, Steve Otacon over here. <laughs> yeah. So this was based on a manga, and I guess the director's intent was to. Uh, shoot it as accurately as, as humanly possible and basically use the manga as a script. And uh, later on, he was not as happy as he could have been with Battlefield Baseball. So he kind of redid the movie in 2011, which is a solid, fuck, almost a decade after this was shot. And he's got another movie called Dead Ball, which stars the same guy as our protagonist, uh, Taxiguchi. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah, it works. But he just, he just right, goes, yeah. he actually helps you out, Steve, because he just goes by Tak now. So Yeah, so Tak is, is also in the 2011 movie, which rocks because he looks like he's about 30 and is playing a high school student in Battlefield Baseball, which means he's definitely 40 and playing a high school student in Dead Ball. Uh, <laughs> so that's fun. But basically what happens is it kind of sets itself up as there's a school and they're getting excited about the upcoming baseball season and everybody's practicing and having a good time. But wouldn't you know, the first team they have to play is a bunch of like weird post-apocalyptic undead psychopaths slash power ranger villains it's it's a very confusing murder setup. everyone <laughs> yeah yeah I, I don't understand how it is that there's apparently just it's a baseball league but there's one team who are seem to be availing of a loophole uh which and the loophole apparently is that during a game of baseball everything is legal which mm -hmm. i don't think that's true in any territory so essentially they just yeah as steve says they just murder everyone in the game and the umpire is too scared to call a foul so that and that's what they do um it's it's a kind of a zany movie um and it's uh, my problem with it really is that it's like it's an hour and a half long which it's not long for a feature film but like it's it's 90 minutes exactly almost but it's it doesn't really have a depth of humor to it it's just endless over the top sight gags over and over again and like really yeah. by, by everyone is screaming at you yes yeah <laughs> the entire every, time yeah there's no modulation there's no kind of like you know movie there's like one gag that i thought was pretty good as a repeating gag which is wherever they have like a quote unquote dramatic moment just crowds of people appear to applaud which i thought was like you know that's <laughs> that was pretty good setup but um throughout the rest of the film it is just people shouting ridiculous things and then just like zooming around in fast motion or getting exploded or you know becoming robot like people 
continually like die and just come back as androids or whatever and like an android is like they've got like <laughs> some aluminum foil taped to their shoulder or something um it, it's it gets a little bit tiring after after a little while it's it's kind of like what if you if you were to watch a bunch of like tex avery cartoons or looney tunes for 90 minutes straight it's just like you said it's, it's a lot of sight gags and i think the stuff that works best is yeah when when it's not just relentless over the top stuff and they they try to slow it down for just one second to have a dramatic moment but then they shoehorn in the zany bullshit and that makes it a lot funnier so there's this whole backstory about how our protagonist uh played by tack is he's very uh troubled because of a horrible baseball accident wherein he discovered he's able to throw a baseball very hard so hard, in fact, that he threw it through his father's chest, and his father died. So he killed his dad. Uh, and that's that's his baseball and, and curse. I, and during this, it's like this: the screen gets this like pink color filter hue over it, and people are like singing, and it's it's fucking yeah, hilarious. The, the fact he delivers that just through a song and like a totally atonal, like off, like it's not properly presented. You know, it's it's like a you know kind of acapella song delivery of his sad backstory that definitely again one of the better gags in it like it's it's kind of fun in just you know, how like it it takes all of the tropes of a sports movie and just kind of like escalates them insanely that you know it's like the team is good this year we're gonna win there's a troubled student but he's got a secret power you know uh so one one guy's mom doesn't want him to play baseball and you know the, it's got all these like subplots that are familiar to sports movies but then the reasoning behind them and how they resolve is just endlessly stupid but you, you know, <laughs> but it's it's just kind of like as I say, it just gets a little bit crazy. Um, I will say though, I'm pretty sure aside from a couple, like one sequence where a guy, uh, kind of where a pitcher throws the baseball and a guy hits it back. Uh, I think that's uh, in a training sequence. That's like the only sports visible in this entire film. Like there is, I was surprised that in Battlefield Baseball they don't try and like frame. That like within the game there is violence. There's no game. It's literally just like they just kill everyone. They just they just yeah, shoot just them violence. and stab them and throw bombs everywhere. Like people with bombs in them. Um, yeah, it's it's bizarre. They have one character who keeps coming back in different. He keeps dying and coming back in a different body, and that's just normal. It's yeah, it's it's a crazy crazy film. Not like and I would say not exactly awful. I feel like definitely you know. If, you know, you you could put it on and not be, not be terribly annoyed by it, but it's just a little much. You just want to know what you're getting into, I guess. I would say, if if this is for you, one, what are your feelings on you know Looney Tunes and or silly over the top anime, and then also it's like, what is your level of love and admiration for late 90s early 2000s like Takashi Miike films because that's the closest thing I can think of in terms of the like the manic pacing and over-the-top violence uh mixed with the silliness of the of the yeah the it, cartoon nature of everything that's going on it reminds me a lot of um Ryue Kitamura's uh, Versus which also starred Tak Sakaguchi was around the very same time which I think holds together better as like because it's a straight up action movie but it does have like these weird bits like I mean I remember in Versus there's one sequence where a guy like does a mate like specifically invokes the matrix and tries to dodge a bullet and just gets shot because that's what happens and like <laughs> this movie is like that just amped like played 
played a hundred times over end to end for 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this I, the, the director is, he's been involved in a lot of projects that are, are similar that people might be more familiar with. So uh, Tokyo Gore Police or uh, Meatball Machine is another one where, again, it's just like cyborg people killing each other. And so, yeah, he just had this run in the early to mid-2000s of just completely over-the-top uh, anime-inspired hyper-violent films. And this this is the most wholesome of those. Yeah, um, it's certainly nowhere near as violent as, like, Meatball Machine or, like, or as gory, I guess. Like, it's got the same yeah. common sensibility, but it's, it's yeah, it's... For one, I don't know if they had the money for it. I mean, the, the prosthetic effects and the violence effects in it are just absurd and played up, you know, kind of pitched that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of it has a little bit of like happiness of the catacuries, too, with the, the, the violence mixed with the random musical numbers. But it's not a straight musical. And it's just a lot happening in this one. It's I found it very entertaining, but it's a lot to take in. You know, don't watch this on a Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Maybe it's it's a weird way to start your day. <laughs> I believe sure. I believe I watched it on a Saturday at like starting at 7 a.m. Yeah, so that's the way to do it. Uh, Jake, any any final thoughts on this one? Has yeah, it deepened your understanding of, uh, of baseball? I mean, I just. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, I, I wish some of these tactics were in place so that I could have fun watching a baseball game. Um, but yeah, this one really kind of threw me for a loop because it opens with a baseball game and the guy catches a baseball that explodes. And I thought the goal was to use baseball to kill the other players. But no, it's just you can fight and use baseball bats and it doesn't have to be a, a real game. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of wish this is kind of an issue I, I think I brought up with um, flesh eating mothers is that a good concept, but I wish it went harder. Like I want like to see geysers of blood shooting out of people. Um, I don't know. I just felt maybe it was a little for how crazy it is. I thought it was maybe just a bit too restrained for me. That's that's all I will add on uh, Battlefield this is, Baseball. This is Optimism Vaccine in a nutshell. Yeah, it was okay, but, you know, kind of like <laughs> flesh-eating mothers, it doesn't go hard enough for me. <laughs> Welcome, new listeners. Uh, all right, well, <laughs> I mentioned earlier that the big dramatic arc in Battlefield Baseball is when, you know, our main character's parental figure, the, the person who taught him the game, uh, straight up dies and this was his primary role model and it scars him forever and changes who he is as a person which is why we also watch spike lee's he got game right sean <laughs> yeah uh yeah um i mean i can't speak for the two movies i didn't watch but uh it's got to be the best of the lot right i'd uh, say so i think it, it kind of wins by wait, default <laughs> was i the was were all you guys was this your first time watching this yes for me yes okay for me, it was my second time, but I hadn't seen it in like 10 years or something. Time. It's been yeah. a long time. So I, I didn't have a lot of memories right. of what it was really about. What'd you guys think? I fucking love this movie. Um, it's, it's crazy because I have kind of this weird roller coaster relationship with Spike Lee where some of his stuff, I just, I can't get on his level. Other stuff, I think it's fucking brilliant. And then there's a lot of his movies where there's amazing shit going on, but there's also things that are just going against all of my sensibilities and, and what I right. enjoy in movies. Um, yeah. You know, so it, really it's, it's this full spectrum of, of stuff in his movies, but 
they're always there's always something to sink your teeth into. And I watched the Five Bloods a week ago, and I thought that was some of the, his best work in the last 15 years. And this is another one where I'm like, damn, I wish I would have revisited this sooner because it it really gets to the core of what I love about Spike Lee movies. And he got game for me. It's it's not on the same level as Do the Right Thing, but it's it, it hits all those same high notes. And right. I just I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And the way that Spike Lee I don't know. I I think I think it's the editing that really puts this over the top, which sounds mm-hmm. kind of weird. But the way that he cuts between the flashback scenes of Jesus Shuttleworth, who's the um, star basketball yeah. player, him as a child, and him and him as a you know a teenager, adult, whatever. It's it's just so brilliantly put together, and I don't know. It's fucking awesome, man. So yeah. thank you for making us watch this. <laughs> I, no, I think you're. Uh, the editing I think you're right to point to that like when I was going through um, a lot of the ones that I hadn't seen and then uh, also revisiting uh, some of them like this like that that 90s period really sticks out to me as um, just like a tour de force for for editing and I've mentioned elsewhere how much some of them uh, of that period um, are just like sort of on the same level as, as uh, Scorsese movies in terms of the editing, just like so complex. And, and in this one, particularly like you're talking about the flashbacks, but also pulling in these other sources, like really expanding the world for this character mm-hmm. um, in, in, in uh, which he's also uh, still doing. I mean, I haven't seen the, the five bloods, but um, with black client Entsman and, and ones before that, but just pulling from different like sources, like not just, um, having this same like universe and um, I guess even like aspect ratio like just pulling from different media um, but I think in this one it works to really like give Jesus Shuttlesworth this this life this this uh, college experience um, that type of stuff like it just rounds out a universe and makes it feel really big mm-hmm. is it because well, it- oh go ahead Oh, well, I was just going to say, like, for me, what what really struck me about this film and, and first time viewing is, I mean, um, what, what like, it really strikes me as a, an incredible kind of, like, American film. The opening credits, which mm-hmm. are, Spike Lee does, like, the best opening credits. He's oh, just God. every... This one's- and this is just, it's just slow-mo of just people playing basketball, shooting, you know, shooting their shots and, you know, practicing it's all practicing it's not actual games pretty much it's all just people practicing and it kind of sets up this idea like you know the american like it really kind of centers basketball is like this just absolutely kind of quintessential energy in america that everyone is devoting time and effort and skill and attention towards um and kind of goes to the you know the edit goes all over and specifically calls out like i see you know they have cabrini green from chicago there which you know would be notably impoverished area oh, yeah, you know and yeah it's it's so it's it's got this just you know kind of like it kind of zips all over america to kind of bring all of that in together as a kind of like this is where america's energies lie and then the whole the film as a whole is obviously biblical is a reference point for it. it's a tale of of <laughs> good versus evil of maintaining a course despite temptations um but in kind of a quintessential american setting in a modern setting it's it's just a really fascinating film on that level and how it balances all of the 
the failings of Denzel Washington's character, who's obviously his, uh, Jesus' father, who went to jail, went to prison for accidentally killing his wife, uh, Jesus' mother, which is shown to be an accident, uh, you know, in anger, certainly, but not like a premeditated, yeah. pre- premeditated thing. But he goes to jail for 15 years. It's kind of, as ever with Spike Lee, like there's just ideas firing everywhere. And we have this idea of the black family broken up, uh, you know, kind of, you know, very long prison sentences, um, you know, kind of like regardless of the severity of the crime or with no kind of conception of what's happening and the children are left kind of to a, a somewhat predatory uncle uh, who who's basically supporting them, but with the conception that honestly there's a payday ahead of him when Jesus hits the mm-hmm. big leagues. And everything about this really is people just kind of hovering around him waiting for a payday down to like his, his girlfriend, Lala, played by Rosanna uh, uh, Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson. Um, you know, everyone's kind of like hovering around him, looking, looking for their cut. But they're not. A lot of them aren't unsympathetic either. They all have their struggles. They're all like everyone's playing a game. Everyone's got their own hustle, their own perspective that they're trying to work out. And Spike Lee just has this incredible tapestry of a kind of a fraught American experience of not wealth, not you know, kind of like ease. Uh, everything is being kind of adjusted and tracked through, you know, kind of like a, a whole lifetime of effort and hard knocks. And the film just communicates all that beautifully. It's it's just such a rich kind of a film. And I, for for a good chunk of the film, I was kind of vacillating between like, is this good or great? Because like like Spike Lee's films tend to do, it's you know, it's kind of difficult to process it all, particularly on a first viewing, because it's just like synapses firing everywhere. You're kind of trying to keep track of where he's, you know where the ultimate goal is but by the by the final sequence frankly where where Denzel Washington throws oh, yeah. where he throws the ball over the wall and it kind of somehow magically comes to the sun as like a kind of a passing of some some kind of like deeply compromised but still valuable kind of intergenerational gift uh, mm-hmm. it, it's phenomenal i mean this is just this is mm-hmm. a superb film um so yeah i mean it's it's great go watch it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i like um uh also like how well denzel's amazing in it but the way that he is able to uh walk that line of like yes he has a payday like i mean in terms of like it's the end of his sentence but also you get the sense that he really does care about his son and, and has regrets and he's still he's still a bastard like very much so, but um, he just plays this complex character that, that yeah. is like sort of doing this calculus all the time. There's there's a difficulty too. I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. And a film, obviously, that I think of watching this, and I'm sure Spike Lee thought of always making his hoop dreams. I mean, there's Cabrini yeah. Green being referenced openly at the start, I think is almost a... Well, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. Arthur Edgy, the character. You know, like, yeah, there, so there, there's, there's like a very right there. clear legacy there. And it, it, it kind of, it, you know, it, it kind of brings in Denzel Washington as someone who has kind of bruised and kind of like beaten his son but out of love you know misplaced yeah. and and it comes out that like he's just he's angry he's aggressive we don't know what he's gone through we don't get any you know any idea of where Denzel Washington's character comes from but he's trying to make his son the best player possible by you know making sure that he can't be put off by someone making him mad by someone fouling him by someone you know just messing around or you know doing stuff and it's valuable training but it's also bullying it's all and it's you know from a father mm-hmm. you know, there's this i say like just this fraught transactions throughout everything 
is you know not simple everything isn't clean there's no you know wonderful tender love between them there's kind of like he's gearing him up for something and it all it works i mean jesus is the all-around player he's fantastic you know how much of that is attributable to his father's investment in that but of course his father is also you know try you know ultimately brings to a point where he accidentally you know transfers that to to his wife and ends up pushing her and fatally injuring her um so yeah it's just certainly he's a very sympathetic character and i think the idea of the film in part is that there's you know second chances are very hard to come by in the united states um and Mm -hmm. you know i mean under point lying all this thing which is something that's kind of new to you know when you come to america and you hear about these things like college sports are insane like then the pressure (laughs) and like in high school sports and stuff i mean it's insane the the pressure the the way it's worked and the fact that these players who are giving everything were trained their whole lives get you know just basically get just robbed blind of their skills they're they're just you know they they fill someone else's coffers and they get like free scholarship maybe out of it but you know if anything bad happens it's all on them you know they're gone someone else will take yeah. it up so you know it's it's yeah it's it's a really tremendous film about um about how america kind of sucks sometimes i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it through the guise of somebody who has all this opportunity, uh, ostensibly uh, ahead of him. But uh, what did what do you think, Jake? Yeah, wow. Um, I was just kind of enraptured by Jack's spiel. There, it was a very, um, very interesting uh, to hear. I'll try, but, um, I'll try not to do I, it again. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's great. I'm sure our audience is engaged as well. And I, I just want to first uh, issue a pox on all the film professors I've had in high school and college who would just say that oh do the right thing is the only spike lee movie that you need to watch and like before before (laughs) this before this month i'll 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 fess that that before this month like i'd only seen five or six spike lee movies and then last this past week i've seen this to five bloods and malcolm x and i'm you know thoroughly convinced that he's one of the best american filmmakers that we have currently working and and he yeah he got game is just excellent not just for the relationship between jake and jesus but also like we've you know we mentioned hoop dreams it also looks at the the seedy underbelly of basketball business and luring these mm-hmm. you know, young men into futures with cars and money and you know there's that great sequence where rick fox takes him around the college campus yeah. and and uh, you know he's at the house and the guy's showing him like how many lamborghinis he could buy and uh, and it's just so like formally impressive and like every every cut just breathes this fire in life and uh, it spikes like really at the top of his game here and we've you know going into the whole sports angle the the final showdown the match is fantastic and word, word has it that um because you know they're really oh, playing, yeah. and Denzel f- immediately scores up four points on him, which early and the crew started cheering, and that really it was you, not you, scripted, right? Yeah, 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 no, not at all. And you can you can see that in the game, knowing back. But it's it, it, this is just a fantastic movie. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think. Uh, well, first of all, uh, this was shot by Malik Hassan Salid. Malik Hassan Salid. Who uh, shot Belly, which is another great movie. Um, yeah. But he also, um, he was uh, AD on, on Eyes Wide Shut. Um, he, he had a pretty pretty fruitful end of the 90s cinematographer that doesn't get his due, but um, just beautiful stuff. And, and um, 
kind of tying in a lot of those things, a lot of the things, I guess, that, that Jake or that all three of you have mentioned it, um, that like, well, first of all, also Spike is in that section of hoop dreams where he comes and talks to students um, about being preyed on by companies and by camps and whatever in schools. Um, so, I mean, also like, it's just part of, part of like, yeah, his advocacy is, is this stuff. But, um, uh, I think the important thing, uh, about this movie also is that he isn't using that Terrence Blanchard score. He's using a uh, classical music from Aaron Copeland mm. and it's, 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 it's a beautiful. phenomenal effect. The, the use of oh music. My God. Yeah. Dude, best part is there's that scene where uh, they're they're just playing like pickup basketball at night in in the park, mm-hmm. and uh, they start playing Bonaparte's Retreat, that you know the that song. Yeah, I did great impression, Steve. That was fucking great, A plus. But it was funny because it's so perfect and it fits with the action so well. And Susan was wasn't watching this with me, but she was doing other stuff and just walking in and out of the room. And she just walked in the room, and then as soon as that end ended, she's just like, "Oh, it's the beef song," and then walked out. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's from the beef. It's once for dinner commercial from like 1993. <laughs> but it, it, it's it's crazy how well uh, it works, and he uses it the same way he uses those Terrence Blanchard scores. Like it, it's almost mm-hmm. like incessant. Um, but he's also seems to be using it to also like uh, if it fits well. But I think. It seems like also there's a point being made here uh, as like equating this this thing that we assert with or we, we associate with high art um, and something like basketball and trying to to, to rise that. Yeah, no, I, th- uh, I think there's to raise that. There, there's uh, you know I think at certain points you can make parallels to this and westerns. I mean, particularly something like say Rio Bravo as like an idea of you know just men or com- compromised men but you know kind of with their own moral compasses surrounded by evil in a den of thieves kind of defending themselves um and yeah it's, it's kind of like and the showdown the, the final basketball game is is like a shootout literally it's a basketball shootout um and the use of this kind of music i think it yeah. it, it kind of kind of re-establishes how black art and black pastimes in america have you know, they, they've just they've not been done like this before but they were always part of the milieu they always there was nothing inferior to them it was just they never had the it was just the different sensibilities and the the lack of opportunities that you know led to it being sidelined and then you know the obviously we have songs by public enemy throughout the throughout the film um and of course you would think any other director or certainly any white director if they're shooting two black guys playing basketball on a court they're gonna have rap music playing 100 percent. it's a no-brainer of course yeah, you do that yeah. and for spike to do that turns it into you know it's it's cinema it's it's a, a distillation of film languages and also of american film culture and basketball culture it's a, a superb maneuver it's and it's just and he knows i mean it makes this movie that he uh I, loves basketball and, and and knows it and gets it and uh, you know this isn't blue chips but like the, you know it's <laughs> it, it makes the it infuses stuff like that last scene in the beginning but that last um the 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 basketball court the um the blacktop at night like just knowing getting that particular beauty like knowing what it feels like to be 
in one of those places like it, it's just a special feeling and he understands that i mean besides all the you know the college stuff that is more logistical just like being able to capture this this sort of ephemeral feeling a thing i love about the the final basketball game between jake and, and jesus father and son is that there's just two guys over at the side watching it unfold and it's like this epic battle you know kind of this yeah. this life defining kind of father and son establishing their relationships to each other as you know as two adults now as two people making their way in the world and it's being witnessed by just two guys hanging out by a court like there's no grand audience you know it's not a spectacle mm-hmm. in any traditional sense and it's it's you know it's just such a wonderful kind of an observation of how these these things happen on courts in, all all over the place with games you know kind of respect yeah. pride all of these values and you know they're just legacies are just being like negotiated exactly and and it's just sort of this this private thing and you just you kind of people hang out and they, you know they might witness it and they might enjoy it like these guys are enjoying because of the game they don't know any of the other stuff going on it's just two guys who are good at basketball shooting hoops and doing it well you know and so there's this wonderful kind of dual fold kind of meaning to that in that we're kind of we're all yeah. witnessing this this small incredibly intense battle that's kind of a world wrapped up in just two men facing off in, in basketball it's just you know these just these wonderful touches throughout and that's really the film um also i just want to point out as well Mila Jovovich is in this um in one of her earlier oh, yeah. kind of <laughs> big film roles and um honestly i just she's just I don't think she's really gets her due a lot of times. Um, I think she's just really like, she's not being asked you a huge amount here, but she's really captivating personality. And um, I think mm-hmm. I guess came from, this is just coming off of like the fifth element where she really honestly kind of was a scene stealer in that, but it was such a wild film that it kind of was like, she, you know, would translate to a, a you know, a less zany film. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was just a really surprising, interesting kind of performance from her as well, just to be kind of like uh, out yeah. there and very personable as a prostitute, but also mm-hmm. to have this kind of inner world that she's kind of hiding and guarding very carefully. And it's, it's kind of like navigated in those scenes with Denzel Washington. Um, so yeah, there's just there's a lot of great stuff here. Yeah, I, I think really uh, great. Yeah. Ray <laughs> Allen is really good too uh, as a non-actor. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Jake. Well, I just wanted, yeah, jump in and say a lot of. Um, I was just kind of look, raising at some of the letterbox reviews of people I follow after I saw this, and a lot of people um, don't really like the the Mila Jovovich subplot, and they think it's yeah. weird or out there. I don't know. I thought it's kind of. It's. I think it's very tender. I l- love her sequences mm-hmm. with Denzel. And I I think she makes the character her own, which is great. And I think just that's just the. The sheer power of Denzel Washington is that he elevates everybody in a scene that he's with. And I, you know, I really enjoyed moments with them as much as I enjoyed him confronting his son on the street or, you know, it's yeah, she's I think she's really good. The detectives. Yeah, it's yeah, the the detectives. It's kind of like um, because contextualizing this because like the late 90s was like Denzel was he won his Oscar for training day. Uh, was it 98 or 90, I don't recall was yeah. it was training day just before this film or I just after maybe the same, same year. Or actually no I think it was the year before in 97 okay yeah cause, cause I'm thinking cause like I saw training day and I think tra- hey training day was 2001 you losers was it okay training day was really I thought it was he, game he, is he did get 98. one he got one for Glory, though. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah Glory was much be- was way before. But anyhow, my, my overall point was that in my kind of 
dim-witted arc of not knowing a lot about what Denzel Washington was doing in the 90s. Um, <laughs> Training Day was like the Denzel Washington is like a powerhouse actor, you know, and, and to be fair, Training Day, if it works at all, it works because Denzel Washington, without him, the film right. is pretty drab. Um, but man, this film, th- th- this feels like, I mean, it looks like he could just eat glass and spit out a chandelier, like the, the whole film it's just like he's just burns yeah. through it and it's just kind of crazy to me that like people were a training day really kind of like well i, I mean you also had malcolm x <laughs> too yeah which was like Imagine i mean spike, spike i think um has went on a long campaign of just i mean he was he was pissed about that for a long time sure uh, publicly um and and i mean obviously he's awesome that's like his his like you know his on entree and um this is, that's kind of, I, I like his performance here a bit more than Malcolm X. Maybe, maybe, I don't know why exactly, but uh, maybe because it's not so front and center and not just such a huge meal to take in. But like he is, and it doesn't have sort of this, um, you know, you're not walking in with like these certain expectations because of historical uh, documents. But um, just as this, secondary character he just yeah he has so much life and i was just taken i like i i had seen this movie once or twice before but it had been a long time and i kind of always had that like oh it's cool like I, and i i always liked watching it because i like basketball and, and you know interest in spike lee in like a high school or whatever um you know coming into movies but always thought that it it didn't completely work for me and yeah this time i was just kind of like so taken with the the pathos that that uh denzel has here and um i've been on kind of like a denzel kick ever since just because he's just he he really is incredible to watch like um we were talking about late tony scott um earlier and some of the stuff that he does in in those movies like uh if you watch like unstoppable he's a he's a character in it but um you know he's not a huge he doesn't have a ton of screen time and he just does stuff in like a couple seconds um worth of screen time that's just like holy shit like he really is the he 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 is like this tom cruise level you know movie star obviously tom cruise has become something else more like robotic but you know he really is like up there with those people like for a real reason yeah and spike lee yeah. is um i mean the more i see a spike lee and i'm under i'm you know definitely underseeing his stuff so i'm trying to address this as i go but uh spike lee is such an odd character too um in how you know, there's kind of the joke. I mean, Spike Lee movies are quote unquote messy, you know, that's like try and talk about a Spike right. Lee movie without calling it messy. Mm. Um, and I mean, but it's, it's kind of true because all of his movies are messy, but it's, it's like it, they're, it's, he reminds me of like Imamura, who's another filmmaker that the, the key word is messy in that he just kind of meanders. He compounds things. He puts them together contradictions yeah contradictions paradoxes and kind of like an unresolved paradoxes that you just the tension between them on the screen it's what really you know sets the mind alight and like the five bloods is full of that the whole film is just full of these kind of like battling kind of lines of intrigue and and kind of like two you know kind of like time-worn truths of american identity are just put pitted against each other and they they don't actually gel together at all and that's like the film it's kind of like it just leaves these jagged kind of 
open wounds that you're supposed to kind of pick through. And it's, you know, it's an incredible effect. And that's exactly what Imamura did with Japan as well. It's, you know, kind of like that same idea of exploring kind of a microcosm or I guess exploring macrocosms in a microcosm, like focusing on one person or whatever. But then it's really weird to me that Spike Lee, other also it's kind of a synthesis of, uh, I know not very cool to bring him up these days, but like Woody Allen. Um, and, and Woody Allen is such a watch out buddy yeah Woody Allen is such a precise filmmaker like Woody Allen's films are absolutely there's no fat on them whatsoever they're they're you know kind of really clean cut and like something like you know um, like She's Gotta Have It which Spike Lee's feature debut is like it's a very Woody Allen kind of a film all in all it's obviously deviates incredibly because there's black people in it but overall you know <laughs> very like, yeah. clear written de- very tidily yes very but a, but a very you know there's a very clear kind of like ev- evocation of like a New York as kind of a mindset and so on and very, you know it, it's clearly there and then I, ju- I just don't understand how he kind of traversed that kind of territory of two completely opposed filmmakers and i think spike lee just manages somehow to brush them together because i i still think there's if not necessarily woody allen per se but in she you know he's got game and defy bloods is still this kind of like tightness of dialogue this directness of kind of intent in certain kind of you know in the spoken word there's there's monologues there's kind of very you know kind of like self-aware speeches which is you know, something Woody Allen would do in a lot of his films as well and kind of have, you know, like voiceovers and so on. But then just as with the overall sprawling paradoxes and messiness that, you know, reminds me of someone like Imamura, it, I'm basically I'm just kicking myself because, yeah, I, why have I not been watching these films for, for years? <laughs> this is absurd. <laughs> well, you got a lot to look forward to. Yes, I do. There you go. All right, boys, we got to wrap this up. So you're listening right now. Um, Make sure you do us a big favor. There's a link, and that link is in the description of the very podcast you are listening to. So, you can pause this podcast right now, and you can click on that link, and that'll take you to our iTunes page. And what are you going to do when you get there? That's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. Well, what you're going to do is you're going to leave us a five-star written review. Written review. That's the important part. And why would you do something like that? Well, helps our visibility. And the more visible we are, uh, the higher we can climb in the iTunes rankings. And once we get high enough, Jack can finally get the Lamborghini that he's wanted forever. You know, I, I took him to my Palladium mansion and I said, look, look, you see this watch? This is an $89,000 watch. You see those Lamborghini? That's, that, that Lamborghini is worth $250,000. I'm going to throw this in, Steve. One last thing, okay? Uh, for if anyone who's a huge fan of 90s pornography and or the Bloodhound gang, <laughs> Chasey Lane is in He's Got Game. So, mm, you know, mm. get it. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, what you can do is you give us the five stars and then you write in the review thing. I hope Jack gets his Lamborghini. I love Chasey Lane. That's all you have to do. It's very simple. I just gave you the review. It's that easy. Uh, So yeah, make sure you do that. Also, uh, check out OptimismVaccine.com. And if you want to yell at us, praise us, death threats, marriage proposals, anything like that, uh, at OptimismVaccine on Twitter is the place to do that. Or if you prefer email for your long rants, optimismvaccine at gmail.com is the way to do it Adam Myros has internet again as of this afternoon so he is standing by hitting refresh on our inbox waiting for you dear listener uh, with that uh, Jake I think you got the last word buddy well, uh, wow we're not doing putovers on our 100th episode are we turning a new this, leaf this is the 99th uh, episode exactly that's the final oh. word <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Jake, go ahead, buddy. Uh, I forgot to tell you, bomb means fuck you in Polish. 